Good day. You're tuned into Free City Radio on CKUT 90.3 FM. It is Wednesday, the 27th of October, and I'm your host, Stefan Christophe in Montreal. On the broadcast today, I'm going to be featuring excerpts of a conversation I had with longtime labor rights activist and photographer David Bacon, uh, who is based in California. Uh, David has long documented um, the struggles of social movements uh, around the world. Um, I'm here in Montreal and uh, recording uh, this introduction out on St. Hubert Street uh, in the city in Villeray. Um, given that we can't be in the studio, I've been recording um, the introductions around the city um, where we're living uh, here in Montreal to give a sense of, of the soundscape of uh, us community radio producers because we can't access the studio still at CKUT due to the pandemic restrictions at McGill University. Uh, but I'm still super always honored and happy to share the broadcast with you. So today, as I mentioned, we'll speak with David Bacon. He has documented the struggles of uh, farm workers in California and uh, the major anti-Iraq war protests in 2003. And related to that, he was one of the organizers of a delegation of Iraqi trade unionists, uh, oil workers, uh, who visited the United States uh, in the years during the U.S. occupation of Iraq, the military occupation. And there was a really important effort that happened, which I thought is important to reflect on, which was the linking and solidarity work that happened between unions in the U.S. and um, Iraqi unions, particularly oil worker unions. Um, Of course, under Saddam Hussein and the Ba'ath Party, um, oil worker unions were, um, well, independent ones were often banned uh, in the country. And after the U.S. invasion of Iraq, there was a political uh, space that opened for uh, workers' unions, particularly in the oil sector, to assert um, their collective rights within the field of labor. This was a space of contradiction around the U.S. occupation. And um, the American Federation of Labor, AFL-CIO, has long been critiqued for its relationship to U.S. foreign policy, rightfully so. Uh, But during this time was uh, going through a major shift and... Uh, there was uh, an initiative that was started called the Solidarity Center, uh, which built relationships with trade unions globally, including uh, unions in Iraq. And uh, within this context, uh, who I spoke with on the program today, David Bacon and others, um, made an effort to build uh, support for Iraqi independent trade unions. And think there's a really important history here of oil worker unions asserting uh, control and asserting their rights, um, both in Iraq and globally. So this is a series of interviews that I have been working on. It's related to actually some research that I'm doing at Concordia University around uh, trade unions and the oil sector. So I'll be sharing a series of interviews um, around this topic uh, in the next months on Free City Radio. I'll play some excerpts now from the conversation with David Bacon, uh, who I reached in California. 
I'm Stefan Christoph, and this is Free City Radio on CKUT 90.3 FM. We broadcast every Wednesday at 11 a.m. As you can hear, we're still outside of the studios, um, but I'm super happy um, to share uh, this broadcast with you every week. So here's uh, excerpts of my conversation with David Bacon. The effort to reach out to unions in Iraq and to build relationships um, with unions there really came out of the protests over the war itself that began before the war actually started. Um, If you remember, there were enormous demonstrations, not just in the United States, but in other countries as well, too, um, opposing what seemed this inevitable drive by the Bush administration to invade Iraq and the lead up to it. Um, in many parts of the of the U.S., um, union activists tried to get their unions to become involved in these protests. And these were activists in, in many cases, in most cases, I would say, who had experience in building solidarity relationships between unions and workers in the U.S. and unions and workers in other countries. Um, in Central America, there was a big movement in unions and also to support the efforts by people in those countries to kind of overturn what was a very unjust social order, as well as to support the revolution in Nicaragua um, during its first years. Um, but also, for instance, um, supporting unions and workers in Mexico. I've been very involved in that for a long time. Um, so when the When the war seemed as though it was inevitable, we began talking with each other and thinking about how to support Iraqi people who had already been suffering under the sanctions, which had caused enormous suffering and the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people in Iraq and try to get our labor movement much more actively involved in um, supporting um, people there. So, we had a, a problem at first, and that was that um, in the U.S. we did not have relationships with unions in Iraq, um, and so we didn't have much to build on. This was unlike the U.K., where um, under Saddam Hussein, many radical trade unionists from Iraq fled the country and wound up in London and wound up in, in the U.K. So there was a long history of relationships Um, in the UK um, that we did not have. So our first problem was to find um, unions and worker groups of workers in Iraq that we could support and and, um, develop uh, a relationship with. So uh, the unionists in the southern part of Iraq, in Basra, which means the oil workers, the electrical workers, union that was reorganizing there. Um, it began opposing what were the efforts by the Bush administration to begin privatizing Iraqi industry across the board. So it wasn't just the oil industry they were privatizing. So opposing the privatization um, was very important. And then also we wanted to develop relationships between the oil workers union here in the U.S. and the oil workers union in Iraq. And so we produced a, um, a photo exhibit. I'm a photographer, so we produced a traveling photo exhibit, and we um, showed it at the union halls of the oil workers, the big oil workers' locals. And so um, we developed a lot of interest 
in the oil workers union in reaching out to the oil workers union in Iraq. So when I went back to Basra in 2005 and attended that conference opposing the privatization, um, we developed a plan or an idea for bringing Iraqi trade unionists to the United States to speak. And um, that plan was adopted by US Labor Against the War. And eventually they brought um, three groups of trade unionists to the United States, one group toward um, the East Coast, another the Midwest, and the oil workers union, Hassan Awad, toward the West Coast. And so, of course, the first places that we that were the locals of the Longshore Union and the locals of the oil workers union in Southern California. And they were very welcoming and very receptive. You know, they donated computers to the um, to the leaders of the union, um, they raised money, they um, sponsored resolutions um, supporting um, the effort of Iraqi unions to oppose the privatization of the oil. Um, and we even talked about trying to how, trying to figure out how to put pressure on the, on the actual corporations that were involved in doing that. Of course, it wasn't just U.S. corporations that were involved in that. You know, the big oil companies from all over the world were sort of descending on Iraq in a group to try and grab whatever part of the oil they could. Um, so that was kind of how the solidarity effort grew. And that tour um, of the Iraqi trade unionists really developed um, some very strong, close relationships between unions, some unions here in the US and um, unions in Iraq. And it also provided kind of a base in our labor movement here in the US for opposing US policy in Iraq, opposing the occupation, calling for an end to the occupation, calling for the withdrawal of US troops, um, and also efforts to try to sort of protect um, uh, Iraqi trade unions. It, it was a complicated question because the Iraqi trade unionists, the socialists, the former the communists, the, the radicals in the Iraqi labor movement um, had been driven underground by Saddam Hussein. And so when the occupation started, they were able to take advantage of that political moment to begin organizing again. And as the civil war in Iraq grew, um, the people who were fighting the US were sometimes also the former um, Saddam Hussein um, supporters. In fact, the Saddam Hussein secret police, the Mahabharat, began assassinating Iraqi trade unionists. So calling for an end to the US occupation was complicated for Iraqis because they also did not want to find themselves at the mercy of um, the secret police and the people who had been their um, enemies from before, so to speak. So we tried to follow their, um, their lead in terms of how to deal with this question of opposing the US occupation and at the same time calling for um, an end to the sort of terrorism that was resulting in the assassination. There were a couple of very celebrated cases of assassinations that we publicized here in the US. Um, you know, unions in Iraq began to reorganize public sector unions for teachers. I belong to the Union for Journalists, our 
union tried to reach out to some degree to journalists as they were organizing in Iraq. Um, and also the, the AFL-CIO itself had um, in the 1990s sort of dissolved the structure, the international structure of the AFL-CIO that had been basically in league with the US intelligence apparatus in furthering the goals of US foreign policy. So there was a, a um, the international department, the AFL-CIO for instance, helped the CIA to, or the imposition of military rule in Brazil. And, and um, so when uh, John Sweeney was elected president of the AFL-CIO, pressure from the left and from um, solidarity activists, the same people who wound up organizing U.S. labor against the war, um, forced the AFL-CIO essentially to um, dissolve the international department and those institutes that it had set up, which functioned as kind of like vehicles for U.S. intelligence operations in other countries. And instead they set up um, what was called the Solidarity Center. And the Solidarity Center um, kind of had a mixed record in a lot of ways, um, supported the, you know, well, first of all, it, um, we were able to end the prohibition in the FLCIO on cooperating with unions that opposed US foreign policy, especially unions that were close to the communist parties of the countries where um, they were active. So for instance, in Colombia, um, where the main trade union federation had a very active relationship with the Colombian Communist Party. Uh, and we had been prohibited from even talking to the CUT in uh, Colombia. Um, we were able to establish you know, very strong relationships of support, which they needed because they were being assassinated like crazy um, during Colombia's um, civil war. Um, but right next door in Venezuela, the US labor movement wound up supporting this coup attempt against uh, Hugo Chavez. And so it was a very kind of mixed, um, politically mixed relationship. In Iraq, however, um, the Solidarity Center, the people who were active in the Solidarity Center generally had the same goals that we did, which was to support the growth of the trade union movement in Iraq, um, support its political independence, um, support its efforts to try to prevent the privatization of industries in Iraq. Um, and so we were able to cooperate with the Solidarity Center to some degree. And you can talk to Michael Eisenhower and Gene Bruskin and get more of an insider's account of how that um, worked out. But my particular role in it was, especially at the beginning, to develop these relationships with the oil industry, with the electrical industry, the, we brought to the U.S. Um, Hashmiya Mousen, who was the first national women trade union leader in Iraq, who was the head of the Electrical Workers Union, and we brought her to the U.S. to the West Coast here. Again, trying to develop these relationships with unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the United Electrical Workers, other unions here in the U.S. who were active in that same industry. Um, so that was sort of my, my role in it. And then I also went to the AFL-CIO convention that adopted the resolution opposing the occupation and opposing the US war. Um, and in fact, we had a 
um, an exhibition of photographs of trade unionists in Iraq at the AFL-CIO convention as an effort to try to sort of bring together those people who were supporting the resolution, was, which was successful, and we got that resolution passed. Um, so that was sort of my um, function. And since then, I've maintained, um, a, you know, I don't speak Arabic, unfortunately, and the leader of the oil workers union, Hassan Watt, does not speak English. So we correspond back and forth through Google Translate or through help translators that help us. So at times when the union has been very active and needed our support, there was an effort to um, make the union illegal. We organized a campaign here in the US to try to stop the Iraqi government and the oil industry from um, making the union illegal, which was successful. Um, we supported their campaign for a, a labor law, a basic labor law in Iraq that would clarify the legal status and the legal rights of workers to form unions there. Um, when the protests broke out in 2018 in Tahrir Square in Baghdad and in other places in Iraq, they were very strongly supported by Iraqi unions, especially the electrical workers union and the oil workers union. And they were themselves the targets of the Bada Brigade and other um, basically Iran-backed militias who were trying to, um, to suppress those protests basically by shooting people. There were many, many, many people, hundreds of people who were um, killed and murdered in those, in those protests. And the union movement in Iraq was one of the, me here in the US, I wrote about it and tried to develop support for what Iraqi unions were doing in support of the protests there. That was a conversation with trade unionist and photographer David Bacon, who has long uh, documented the um, voices, the images of social movements in the U.S. and internationally. He actually did a series of very moving photographs of trade union workers in Iraq and um, Basra specifically in the context of the U.S. invasion, backed, of course, also by the British government, uh, Labour government of Tony Blair. Um, I'm doing a series of interviews about Iraq trade unions and particularly in the oil sector. There is a very interesting and important link that happened between um, oil worker unions in Iraq and trade unions globally within the context of the anti-war movement um, against the Iraq war. I think it's really important here to note um, that at that time, the anti-war position uh, that, you know, uh, led to mass demonstrations globally, um, including here in Montreal, but of course in New York City, of course, too, which I joined, um, was that the position and the critique of the U.S. administration and their push for war on Iraq was seen as a marginal point of view. Uh, the fact that there was a questioning of the mainstream narrative around uh, the justifications for war. Uh, with time, that became extremely mainstream. But I think that it's... Um, excuse me, just outside here in Montreal. I think that it's very important to understand that there is a major shift that happened and the critiques of the, um, the uh, U.S. push for an invasion of Iraq uh, really um, became mainstream. But at the time... 
uh, the anti-war movement and the grassroots demonstrations. Uh, you know, groups in New York like United for Peace and Justice, uh, here in Montreal, Echec la Guerre and Block the Empire, many other groups. Their critique of um, the U.S. invasion of Iraq, which Canada participated in to an extent by sending elite troops from the unit um, Joint Task Force 2, JTF2, which is an elite unit of the Canadian military, which did participate in the occupation of Iraq. The critique of the illegitimacy of the claims that the Ba'ath regime of Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction was not even followed by, you know, the mainstream center media. Uh, they bought the narrative of the George W. Bush administration. So I think it's important to highlight this moment where the critiques and the ideas of social movements actually were really accurate. <laughs> Um, and, you know, there is an a, a expanding disaster that has resulted from the invasion of Iraq that in, impacts um, the world, Iraq, of course, until today. Um, you know, there's a pandemic right now, but there's been mass protests in Iraq against social inequality and injustice, ri rising poverty. Um, these are realities that were, of course, deeply exasperated by the invasion of Iraq. So that's the focus of the broadcast today. Thank you to David Bacon for being part of it. Um, photographer, um, labor rights activist in um, the Bay Area in California. Um, and it's really always uh, a pleasure to host Free City Radio. Um, I'm Stefan Christophe in Montreal. This is part of a series of interviews I'm doing about the relationships between labor movements in the U.S., U.K., and Iraq within the context of the American invasion of Iraq in 2003. Um, Free City Radio broadcasts every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on CKUT. Um, do stay tuned. The F-Files is coming up next, and um, I'll go out with some music. Um, We'll hear some music by a great composer from Beirut named Sharbo Rohana. And I'll talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.